My name is Jack Oatway. And I'm Jay Oatway, and I'm here to welcome you to another edition of Like Dragon, Like Sun. A lot of energy coming you, from that direction. I am stoked. We are in the DM's workshop today. Yeah, we're we summer play, camp. We're playing with welcome power to tool, camp, yeah. tools. We're building things. We're, we got all the permissions, uh, all the yep, permits. Yep, I've, I've only chopped off two of my fingers so far. All right. uh, well, except hopefully for by the end of the night, the rest of them will. Yeah. Yeah, be gone got as well, that regeneration spell ready to go. Ring of regeneration. Well, you can't even wear the ring of regeneration anymore. You know, regeneration, but... seventh level spell to grow back fingers. That's crazy. I can like raise dead at what, fifth level? Yeah. And I have to wait till seventh level to grow a finger back? Well, it's all about like reattaching the nerves carefully individually. You know, like how they did like the whole vision like thing in like Infinity War where they had to get like the gem out of his head. It's really complicated. Like there's a bunch of nerve endings and I think we're talking fingers. We really should be doing the Doctor Strange references. But still, back to my point, seventh level, two more levels up, which is like four more levels of spellcaster before I get that spell slot. Thirteenth level before I can regrow a finger. What the actual heck? I think that's justified. I think regrowing limbs is so. Kids a at big home, deal. if you're playing like you are, we we are today in the DM's workshop. Uh, watch out for your fingers. <laughs> Although, as a DM, and we're going to talk about variant rules, but as a variant rule, I'd let greater restoration if you hold up the, the missing finger. I'd let that reattach. Yeah, if you had it with you, and actually, the regeneration spell says if you have the thing, it reattaches. But it also regrows. So it's just, you don't need to have it. But if you want to have well, here's it, there the could thing, be like a tattoo on that, it or something cool. The reason that it, those you know. of you at home are going, hey, yeah, he's right. What's with that? Here's what's with that, actually. Regeneration also gives you a ton of hit points back. Um, and also lets you regain a hit point, I think, like every turn, 10 hit points per minute. So... There's a huge hit point boon to it while that mm. spell lasts for like an hour. Uh, it's not concentration. Nothing has to happen. Somebody casts it on you. You have like this constant hit point, uh, you know, regeneration. So you could use it in combat. You can use it in a few different situations. There's things going on there that are the reason it's a seventh level spell. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if there was a lower level spell that was simply reattach limb? Yeah, I mean, especially looking at some of the, some of the variant combat rules coming in here and lethal weapon strikes and whatnot, that may be more helpful than you think. Yeah. So uh, one of the things you can do in a DM's workshop, you can you can make your own spells. You can. You can make your own anything. You can make your oh, own except monsters. your own classes on D and D Beyond. We don't make our own classes. And I, I yeah, we we yeah. we're not really allowed to do that yet. But, um, but yeah, it's I think, I think most DMs, uh. I think the first time you DM is always a nerve-wracking mm -hmm. experience, and you're probably going to stick very close to rules as written. Uh, and that's great. You don't need to homebrew. But at some point, and it's usually sooner rather than later in my experience, people want to cook up their own stuff. And so today we're actually going to look a little bit in the DM's guide, in the section of the book, Chapter 9, at the stuff that's like, hey, this is how you cook up stuff. If you're wondering a page number, it begins at page 263, and yeah, we're going to go through some of the 
optional variant rules that are in there as well. We'll talk about some of the ones mm. we like, some of the ones that if you've got, you know, players who've been at the table for a bit longer that I'd suggest, hey, you should introduce this. This stuff's kind of fun. Um, what would be some of the first stuff that variant rules you'd like to to throw at your parties? There are a lot of variant rules. I'd like to introduce how much I would introduce them is another question, but how much I want to is uh, a sort of a separate question. Uh, I think starting off the chapter, we see things like uh, alternative sort of ways of granting people skills or different ways of working proficiency dice, and I'm kind of whatever about those. But I like the idea of new ability scores. And maybe this is just me being sure crazy. But well, And, and the DM's guide isn't suggesting any old mm. ability scores here. There's two very specific sets of abilities. And there's a couple ways we can handle this. Rules is written... Uh, it says honor and sanity are like, they're like strength, intelligence, dex, they're abilities. Mm. And you roll them up the same way. Now, of course, this is problematic if you're trying to use point by or things like that, but they give you stuff. ways to introduce them uh, smoothly in the DMG here. And here's a couple ways you could introduce a new ability score. We'll explain maybe why in a second, but uh, they suggest if you use the standard array, then just add one eleven to the array for each optional ability you add. And you could homebrew. It doesn't have to be honor or sanity. It could be whatever you want it to be. But if you're using standard array, just introduce another 11. If you're using a point by, then you add three points, the total number of points for each optional ability you add. And if your uh, players roll their ability scores, have them roll for the added ability scores. They just roll another time for a seventh or eighth or ninth or however many you want to introduce. Um, I have some off the top of my head. I mean, honor and sanity are things that have been sort of lingering around on, on just, you know, in my mind about something I want to add, but, you know, D&D Beyond is not really engineered or programmed at this point to do that sort of thing, and uh, a lot of my friends aren't really experienced with paper and writing up character sheets that way, but I've always liked the idea of uh, honor uh, as a ability score, especially in a setting, uh, like they say here, such as Karator, which is the sort of the Eastern Asian inspired cultures like Japan, China, uh, Southeast Asia. Here in Asia, ideas. where we live. Here in Asia, well, let's not dox ourselves too much here, but we're 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 Asia's Asia. Asia's best father son podcast. I doubt that. Uh, actually, I would actually I'm gonna stretch that a little bit and say we're the world's best father-son podcast uh father-son D based podcast mm, okay maybe uh, even then i can't quite say yes to that but all right well then I'm, I'm going back to saying that we're the best in asia someday we will be the best the best english language father-son D podcast in, in asia. asia wow that's a lot of caveats i don't think they have an award for that one. Oh yeah we're gonna pick that one up this year <laughs> yeah anyways getting back to honor uh, scores it's it's really sort of simple um ideas you know like if you have perhaps a dwarven society even one that's not based in an asian inspired sort of campaign setting you could have a a dwarven clans or certain religions you know and uh within your religion you have a you have to maintain your code of honor especially a paladin or something like that could if they break away from their their honor or their the code that they're supposed to follow then their honor score could decrease or increase and i think i think actually given where we are in the world of trying not to stereotype um, races and regions so much. Honor doesn't have to be. I mean, I know a lot of this, the honor may have come from those sort of, that sort of Asian-y sort of background, but I think it could be applied to 
Mm. We, and we should apply it if you're going to bring it into your game across everybody. Um, maybe. Well, I, I think some places have a code of honor where other places don't. I don't think that's unfair to say. I think yeah. that the general sense of honor here may be completely different from than in another place in the world. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you've got a drow and a dwarf, they may have very different sense codes. of honor yeah. exactly you know and so the, um, the drow sense of honor may not apply to any dwarven kingdom whatsoever you know but yeah. amongst the drow denizens it could be very sort of upstanding citizen and whatever that means for drow but it means you're the the nastiest most double crossing house that nobody wants to to mess with because they know it's gonna hurt so bad if they do that's i suppose drow honor honor yeah um and you could decide what that means for you and I think sort that's of dwarven nice honor maybe earned through you know defending your forge from you know some dragon that's attacking mm. it and the other side of the coin which i suppose we both sort of been thinking about i sort of thought about it when uh reading up on some hp lovecraft and whatnot and trying to introduce that into a campaign setting or what that idea may be and you running curse of strahd i think the idea of a sanity score has always been sort of appealing for that whole horror, yeah. fear sort of um, based setting. And and again, this this is I love the idea of sanity, and I've, I actually have worked it a couple of different ways. Um, I'm not currently doing sanity with the very new group of players that I have in Curse of Strahd, mm. only because they're very new players. And I suppose this is you know that's the caveat that we're going into the DM's workshop here with is that if your players are already just trying to learn the rules of Dungeons and Dragons, giving them another ability score, another skill to have to, to worry about is, is not worth it necessarily. Um, I'm also running it on Discord and I'm using the Avray bot and I'm using you know, stuff that has to kind of plug and together and work. So if I was to introduce any sort of system on there, it would have to be something that would be very easy for me to track and look after for the players in a way. Mm. And so because of that, we're using the um, sort of a modified version of the Shadowfell Despair rules uh, where I'm actually drawing cards from the Taroka deck and I've got various little despairs for each one of those that they can, they can easily get off of themselves mm. um, rather than having a sanity score system, which I love sanity score systems absolutely love it. i think for a, a horror setting um whether you're doing curse of strahd uh icewind dale maybe your own setting of some sort um having having some way to keep track of accumulating uh fear and horror is is really great and it's something that eventually leads to madness mm. yeah and they have rules in here i think that i i really like how they sort of introduce the idea of what ability checks or saving throws could look like for each of these different skills. Like honor checks could be uh, determining how to act and maintain a, a level of honor with the way you act or progressing with something. Or if this would, uh, you know, break honor, how you would do so to maintain a level of honor. Like, for example, being unsure how to act with honor, surrendering, surrendering while trying to save face, trying to determine another character's honor score, trying to use a proper etiquette in a delicate social situation, using uh, his or her honorable or dishonorable reputation to influence somewhere else. Or just a couple ideas of what honor could look like as an ability check, I think is a, a, a very cool idea. And you can make up your own idea like of what that is, you know, and determine just like all other sort of ability checks, like, oh, that could call for honor. 
right. instead of in, in that circumstance where you're not quite sure what that calls for, you know, and especially a character that perhaps isn't very charismatic, but still wants to have a lot of weight, you could have them rely on persuading people through honor and using the variant, like the honor as a variant for persuasion in the right situation or for intimidation, like uh, intimidating one with your honor. Like if you dishonor me, then uh, rash will and become upon something you. that, that uh, again, for pro DMs, uh, I would really recommend having a look at is swapping out which ability score is connected to a skill in certain situations. Not all the time, not like, mm -hmm. it's not just random players can choose whichever ability score they want. But in many situations, you might use a strength score to intimidate with instead. You could still use your intimidation proficiency, but back it up with strength. Or in these sorts of cases, if you've added honor into it and you're a very honorable dwarf and you're talking to the dwarven king and you need to be persuasive in having him mobilize his army or grant you access to something that, that your honor would open doors for you that you could use an honor bracket persuasion check um especially if you had a very high honor score but again this is also sort of saying thinking that so honor and sanity in this setup are static numbers mm. right? well like, it, it says that they don't need to be static numbers and that often the changes aren't going to be with ability score improvements but instead determined by the dm so if someone would break their code of honor or that it would perhaps be decreased or if they show a high level of right. or, or get to an even higher threshold of maintaining honor. And that's actually what makes these interesting ability mm. scores because you don't move your other ability scores very often. The DM probably doesn't boost or nerf you The only sort of case much. would be through an ability score improvement or with a magic Maybe item. Maybe a magic item, but yeah, typically, you know, maybe with a lot of downtime activity of training or something, I might like somebody boost their strength one. I don't know. Like there's, there's ways that it might happen, but typically no. Where in sanity and honor, a lot of what we're trying to do here is is recognize that those things mm. are fluid for characters, uh, especially in a horror setting. The more times you get scared and frightened by things, uh, yep. the worse those things start exactly. to get. Could, like your sanity could get lower and lower, and those saving throws are becoming harder, and those ability checks and, and are yeah. becoming. And you can start doing things where if you miss, mm. if you start missing too many sanity checks in a row like you keep failing on things mm -hmm. you keep being frightened for long periods of time yeah or if you we fail a sanity saving throw that then we start saying okay well then you're going to start to pick up uh you're going to start picking up horror you're going to start picking up lasting lingering influences of stuff um which may then lead to rolling on short-term madness long-term madness <laughs> indefinite um, madness indefinite madness you might yeah. pick up new flaws you might pick up you know these sorts of things um even potentially lingering injuries that are completely psychosomatic mm. um there's all sorts of fun ways you can you can sort of play with it there's a there's a podcast little shout out by, to uh dark dice which i love very much a uh, beautiful international cast of uh of accents and voices that go on a a horror campaign uh, into the underdark and they have their own homebrewed sort of sanity score system just sort of you know runs from zero to 200 and they as bad things happen or they fail various checks they gain accumulative amounts of of these sort of 
sanity points or madness mm. points. I feel like, uh, yeah, that's a, a great way of implementing it. There's and, plenty of ways to do and it. And then at, at various thresholds throughout it, the characters start to role play differently. Mm. They start that takes to, a very high level of like commitment to that idea sure. and, and having and the players role Because they're a podcast and because of the sort of nature of how they're doing it, the, uh, the players have a much bigger sort of buy-in to, to the performance mm. that they're giving. Um, but it's wonderful to listen to. It's it's very spooky. It's very creepy and cool. Uh, I wouldn't again expect this from newer players at the table. I think most players have enough trouble just role playing their character as is. Um, and the thing the thing I don't really like about fear and horror though is I don't want to strip agency from a player. I don't want to just say to them, I mean, okay, now you're just really scared all the time. That's just not fair. I think it's one thing if you fail a certain saving throws and you're frightened, but you should be able to just follow the rules and be able to overcome that, however that may be overcome. And yeah, I'd like to sort of see, you know, ways that players don't feel like they're being forced to play a character that they don't want to play. Do you know what I mean? Mm. No, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Like that they should be able to get back to a heroic state uh, somehow. And then idea of you, like, that you sort of mentioned of spending downtime to maybe recuperate a level of sanity by relaxing or, or yeah. you know, and trying to fix any short-term I, madness you may I think, have. I or, think there should be coping mechanisms. Exactly. I think there should be things. And again, that could lead to role-play fun as well. Mm. I think also, but the idea of sanity can be very sort of confusing as a concept. I think that uh, I, I've drawn inspiration from the sort of a game called Darkest Dungeon where it instead uses stress yeah. And stress increases to a point where yep. then sort of character breaks happen. You can and, call it by whatever flaws name you want. Like, you know, but I feel like the idea of sanity can be a little bit hard to grasp sometimes. Yeah, call it stress. Hmm. Just whatever um, you want to call but, it. But this is also an example of like when you start to think, why does my character have a musical instrument? I'm not a bard. Or why does my character have calligraphy or art supplies when I'm not like an artist of any sort? And this could be a situation where you're like, oh, okay, if you have any creative outlets like that, you could spend your short rest using any of those things that you're proficient in to regain sanity or reduce stress. Yeah, or similar to, to hit die, I think there could be sort of coping die, if yeah. you will. Yeah, you know, but, where... but again, you have to do something and you have to mm. have, like if you have no proficiency in those things, I'm sorry, you, those things don't grant you any of the joy because picking up an instrument that you can't actually play and just banging away on it doesn't make you less stressed or anybody around you less stressed. Um, possibly the opposite. Uh, so I think, I think, cause we often ask, well, what do we do with those things or, or cooking or, you know, there's a number of things that are sort of, you know, they're, they're those, they add value to the game in subtle sort of ways. And this is a great way to bring those mm -hmm. into gameplay to help cope with stress or sanity. Absolutely. I also like the idea of introducing things like radiation or magical radiation. I think there's some fun videos out there if you want to look them up about introducing the strange sort of magical occurrences that cause like mutations or, or sort of of the, the land or of creatures nearby, you know, and that if creatures get, like your players get a little bit too mutated that could also represent as new mutations that appear on their body or things like that that could really spook the more like powerful super spooky, the magic you know? item the more 
magical radiation it gives off. Sure, yeah. That could be magical radiation for wearing or tuning to magic items mm. for too long. There could be a level of trying to, you have to like spend a certain amount of gold to maintain, like to keep magic items without letting them ooze off too much yeah. magical radiation and maintaining them to a point where they don't get dangerous for your place. I've got a homebrew setting where magic has, all the magic items are around are pulling uh, from the barrier between dimensions. And so the veil has become increasingly thin. In some places, you, creatures, characters just fall right through it. So the longer you're around magic items, the more powerful magical item space is, the, the more sort of polluted the area might be and the more likely it is that you fall through to one of the other dimensions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that idea, like this weave being pushed and pulled, much sort of like how gravity bends, you could imagine this weave bending, and either that produces spell effects or it, like you said, sort of ha that magical barrier between dimensions is weakened and people fall through them. I, I like that idea a lot, but regardless of however you want to introduce abilities, check out the DMG, page 265 for the idea behind introducing new stuff. And I think we got to maybe move on to some more adventuring options. And I think going off of what we were talking about a little bit before, fear and horror for your campaign settings. Uh, here it lists fear. When adventurers confront threats they have no hope of overcoming, you can tell them to make a wisdom saving throw or sanity if you've introduced sanity. Set the DC according to the circumstance. A creature who fails the save becomes frightened for one minute. The character can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of his or her turns, ending the effect on the character on a successful save. Uh, so the idea of, like you sort of said, introducing a frightening aspect to it. So it doesn't need to take away player agency, but no. it's still... And, and there's many, many, many mm. creatures who are frightening, and in horror campaigns, they're everywhere all the time. Um, I'd also, as a DM, little pro tip for other DMs out there, suggest keep track of how many times in a row a player fails that fear check. Mm. If they're frightened... And I know in game time, it may only be 18 or 24 seconds, but if they failed three or four checks against whatever that thing is, each time you describe it, it should be like bigger and scarier in their mind than it was the time before. And then sort of keep track of that. Maybe the next time they have a long rest, describe the nightmares mm -hmm. they have about that thing that had frightened them earlier. Maybe have them even make another check at that point. And again, at this point, you add a, a horror check onto it or something like that, yeah. that is and then going on to horror horror involves a more uh, more than a simple fright it entails revulsion and anguish you know may be during a, a nightmare or or some sort of sort after failing a bunch of fear checks like uh and often arises when adventurers see something completely contrary to the common understanding of what can and should occur in the world or upon the realization of a dreadful truth in such a situation you can call on the characters to make a charisma saving throw or sanity to resist the horror Set the DC based on the magnitude of the horrific circumstances. On a failed save, a character gains a short-term or long-term form of madness that you choose or determine randomly, as detailed in Chapter 8, running the game. Or this could be a very, like, ongoing, frightened, you know, and they have disadvantage on against that sort of original thing that incited the frightenedness, like a certain type of creature that they're now prone to be frightened to, like a sort of baked into them where now they have a harder time resisting the frightening effects of a certain uh, effect or sure or you heighten creature. the fright next time mm -hmm. there's a there's two types of frightened 
in D&D. There's Frightened that doesn't let you move any closer. That's the most basic standard condition. But then there's an Amplified condition, and you'll see it written as the Frightened creature must move away from the whatever it's frightened of. Um, and sometimes it even has to try and dash as use its action. It can to only dash use its action to dash. To and if it can't move, then it can use its yeah. action to dodge. So there's like, there's a couple of layers of like, you really, really, really have to get away. And you could make their next frightened against the similar sort of thing, that extra sort of bit. You can, as a DM, again, keep track of a little bit of what starting to frighten them and maybe even think about, okay, next, my next session, it was going to be this, but let's throw a little, one more of these things in. Or maybe like, just to yeah, sort of exactly. mess with them a little bit. They could bit. be paralyzed with fear, even like the complete opposite where they can't move yeah. just because they're so frightened. You yes. Know? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's ways you could get into, and I, I've, I've played with this a little bit. It doesn't always work so well. I've, uh, I've run a system where you move through, um, like fear and paralysis and things and then sort of cycle back, you know, picking up a horror point once you hit the top of it and then cycling back down. And it's, you know, if you are going to go into the DMs workshop and you are going to homebrew something, try to keep the mechanics of it super duper simple. Mm. Don't make yourself something an elaborate chart of things that are hard to keep track of or different layers of or different roles or things don't make too many rolls of the dice the the secret to great homebrew is simplicity mm. just keep it really simple um one way that i keep sanity and the fear and horror checks even more simple instead of adding another ability score i add sanity as a skill um, this you can do in D&D Beyond. Which is easy to do in D&D Beyond. And I will then connect it to Constitution rather than Charisma or Wisdom or trying to figure out where it goes. I've, I've played around with the idea of letting players just pick whichever ability they want to go with it. I'm not sure that's always the best, although it is, I think, an option because I think different creatures deal with different types of characters deal with stress in different ways, but... Constitution is one where we usually think of it as endurance or health. And I was sort of thinking of it like, well, maybe we extend that idea to mental health. Constitution is the great equalizer. No player ever really nerfs their constitution or does so at their own peril. Um, so it's usually one that's kind of okay-ish for everybody. And then... Maybe it's much stronger for some others. Yeah. The barbarian. And, and then... Uh, I let I let characters uh, players uh, choose sanity as one of the things that they can have proficiency in if they they want. Uh, usually, actually, what I'll do is I'll even give them a choice that they I'll give them one extra skill proficiency that they can pick, and they can put it into sanity if they want, or they can go put it in something else, mm -hmm. or even create an expertise in something. And so, all the, you know, if somebody really wants to double down on on their character being super athletic, great, but their sanity is going to be weak. So most players going into my horror settings, if I give them that option, always choose to put their proficiency on their sanity checks because mm -hmm. those things are going to come up. And yeah, and it's just one of those, uh, it's one of those, those checks then that we make as part of exploring. So it's not a save 
like in game if something's frightening you'll often do a wisdom save or possibly a charisma save against it um but when we're doing it as a skill check and as an ability score check usually those things are happening when the players come into a room that's got a really horrific scary sort of thing in it um that at that point they they make an ability score check to see if they mm. can resist the horror of the situation mm. And I think going back to the idea of a sanity score or in a check like that, you'll see monsters sometime with a frightening presence, whether it be a dragon or something. And I argue rather than having it be a wisdom saving throw, maybe changing that to a sanity saving throw or a sanity ability check if you make it an ability like yeah. sort of talked about it a little bit before. It could be a contested thing. Even. Could even be contested as with grappling rules. I think that's something that's underutilized. And if you want to go that direction with it, I think that's a, a very cool idea to test out. Yeah. Contested sanity score is a fun way to have somebody mentally wrestling. Yeah. Um, yeah, super fun. And also then introducing that idea of the frightening presence or sort of horrifying presence to other creatures as well, that when a, a person sees them, they may need to make a contested thing or it could be even like a legendary action for it to like try and get in someone's head or when something speaks to you telepathically, you may have to make a sanity saving throw to, you know, to, to resist them getting into your mind or or charms or things like that and so now effects against being sort of controlled or dominated could be sanity saving throws as well i mean this is all optional stuff and up to you but also definitely things to think about i think on the line of horror and spookiness and grit and uh sort of more terrifying campaign setting the idea of like challenging amounts of like getting like healing being a much more yeah, Rare so concept. moving along in the DM's workshop over the next station that we have set up here for you folks is healing. the healing <laughs> section. This is, um, yeah, if you've chopped off your fingers, what what's going on? So a lot of, okay, I have a lot of old men that I play, and I say old, like my age. Uh, you know, all of us who started playing D&D back in the day where, you know, you spend hours building a character because you only had you know, one player's handbook between six of you, and then you go and very quickly get killed in the very first dungeon in the very first minutes because, you know, life was hard back in the Gygaxian meat grinders. Uh, and today, you know, healing is, is, is easy and dying is hard. And there's a lot of old guys who are grumpy old men who are like, harumph, I, I, wish, I wish the game was like grittier like it used to be. I'm like, well, it, easy, it done. Look, there's here in the DM's workshop, we have rules to make it grittier. Simply, mm -hmm. as simple as like saying, okay. Changing how rest works and changing yeah. how healing works. I like the one of them here, but I think this is a little bit extreme. I would go a little bit All right, Which one this. is your favorite here? Uh, I like the idea of the healer's kit getting a little bit more yeah. use, you know, and having I, a little bit more sure. use. Sure, so the, the rule in here basically says you need, you need a healer's kit for anybody to regain. You have to expend one use of it and then people can roll hit dice. I would expand that to say anybody who's got herbalism um, or... The Song of Rest feature. Song of the Rest Barks. feature. Um, we've seen recently that there was a cook feat that came out that was way overpowered. Uh, we talked about in our last episode. Um, but if you had cook's utensils and could cook a nice meal for people, um, all of these things could be the triggering uh, a component to allow people to roll hit dice. Mm. Uh, and I think that adds a little bit, again, why do I have all these kits? What are all these things doing? How do I use them? Simple, quick, you have one. You can just say, okay, we're, we crack this out over the next hour. We 
make some meals, people start doing some stuff. I would even say like the other one, the other piece of this that you could do is, is if you have somebody wise in your party who can make medicine checks for you, that that could also be the triggering uh, component you need. I, I wouldn't let people make constant medicine. Like if you fail a medicine check, then that person can't roll. Like, a hit. yeah, they can't roll hit dice unless they use another method or, or whatever. Yeah, you know, or like, you expend a healer kit piece or I think there are many ways to do it. What I would do instead, because I think complete, I mean, this is, if you've got people with this proficiency and tell them to get these proficiencies or find like, like, you know, get healer's kit proficiency or get cook's utensils or whatever to try and encourage players to have the option to heal their, their friends when the time comes or pick up a bard or whatever, right, that could encourage that. I'd say you can heal a number of hit dice normally, like to a, a maximum you can use half is your hit dice. It's half your hit dice or even your proficiency bonus, I'd say is a little bit. That's more intense yeah, especially you know? if you're higher level but i think lower levels it's a little bit more generous because that means it's second level you can still use all your stuff but i think then at higher levels that gets really like oof like i can only like especially high level tier i can only spend six of my hit dice unless you get the healing sure. necessary and then i say you can spend any amount yeah uh i don't think it matters because i don't think it matters i think, on, I think, I think it's just if, how brutal I think you, you want to be exactly well and this is how brutal you want to be like if they're having a short rest they can burn as I normally I would say half their hit dice, which is the way the rules are written. But if you're if you're not going to let them have another long rest until, like maybe they've got two more big fights, like they might have one more short rest and then a third fight and then a long rest. So if they've already burnt half their hit dice, maybe they don't make it through the whole rest of the day. I don't know. Um, it also depends on how long you can you figure a short rest needs to be. Mm, exactly, and, and that's those, another one. Those are the in the variant here. rules right mm. here as well. Whether your short rest is five minutes five or, minutes or eight, eight hours eight hours uh, i think if you want to go the very gritty route uh i recommend checking out gritty realism on page 267 of the dungeon masters workshop here the vi this variant uses a short rest of eight hours which is typically what a long rest is and a long rest of seven days a whole week of resting sure and this really depends on your campaign setting and how fast-paced mm -hmm. things exactly. are exactly and it if literally says if, here this puts the brakes on your campaign yeah if you're in a dungeon and a long rest of seven days, players aren't getting in your deep into your dungeon. They're exactly. gonna like they're gonna leave because that or they're gonna die. I mean, uh, I had a I did a a haunted house uh, campaign that I ran uh, that had a bit of a ticking clock in it, and so I had in that one short rest for fifteen minutes, but the clock was running and long rest for one hour, but there was so many monsters in the house that getting, there's only a few places where you could squeeze by a long rest, and you'd have to make a couple of checks along the way to see if random things interrupted you. So for them to regain the long rest was super important before getting to the sort of last stage of the boss fight, but also really hard to do. Mm. Um, and because of that, the short rests were quick enough, they were picking them up, but again, they were running out of hit dice. Now I think they probably, yeah, before they took their long rest, had definitely burnt all their hit dice. And that was a really fun setting to do because they were really on pace, room by room by room. Every room had something dangerous in it. It was a bit of a dungeon crawl, but in a way that was really fast. And the house was random. The tiles came up uh, in a shuffled order. So I didn't know what they were going next. They didn't know where they were going next. Rooms moved around. Uh, on them mm. so it was a really fun setting to be in and it took a lot of like the, the clock was kept ticking yeah all the time and that was a fun way to change up the short rest long rest 
And it didn't matter because what you're trying to do as a DM is you're trying to create from your long rest, short rest, a feeling amongst the players of, of how desperate, how, like how, how um, freaked out are they getting in this situation? Like how, how much do they want to keep pushing even though they, that risk reward thing is there. Like I, they feel this need to keep going, but at the same time they have, they're running out of resources. Mm. So it's, um, it's, it's creating that as a DM that you're trying to shoot for, really. Exactly. I think it really depends on what your campaign is as well. I think Gritty Realism, it really sort of explains this well, where if you introduce something like this, characters can no longer afford to just engage in any battle they see fit, and they may just choose to run or hide or get out of combat, given that it's probably not worth their day's resources or their week's resources, you know? Um, it, this approach encourages the character to spend time out of the dungeon. It's a good option for campaigns that emphasize intrigue, politics, or interactions uh, among other NPCs that are less combat-oriented and more social sure. or challenging political concepts or, like, long-term, like, in-the-city planning or things like that. Like, every yeah. single combat or thing that uses resources needs to be planned out carefully, you know, because you're not going to have a lot of resources at your disposal. Yeah, it, it's for people who want to take that third pillar of combat or whether that's the mm. first pillar in some people's minds, almost completely out of the game. That making combat a a really frightening, scary thing to do. And and that's cool. That's totally cool. Like I, I think that, you know, there's this well within you know, the realm of D and D room to do that. Mm. Most of the groups that I play with like their combat. And and I sort of feel for that, those sorts of groups that Introducing a super gritty realism could be. I feel for those groups already a one hour short rest is a lot is like is also too much time already spent, and and having to sleep eight or six hours or whatever and get through a night's rest is plenty long and difficult enough to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, play with it how you want to play with it, uh, but yeah, it, try to find a balance that makes the the players happy. Yeah, make the players exactly. feel like it's it's hard work, but not impossible to. Mm. And the other the trick with this though is if you want to make it gritty, as well, is you don't have to let them on a long rest heal all the way back up. Yeah, that's a variant rule in here. They as say well. that as well, I believe. Yeah, it's sort of top of the next page and slow natural he- healing. Yeah. yeah, so you can sort of say, you know, again that a long rest, yeah, you regain your hit dice but you don't regain all your hit points. And so you can, again, for the long rests, burn hit dice half or... the hit dice again. You've regained them. Um, and, and yeah, if that doesn't heal you all the way back up, well, onwards and upwards, folks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. I, I'm not sure if you know this off the top of your head, but I'm not very familiar with the rule. How many hit dice do you regain after a long rest? Uh, good question. I feel like it's half your hit dice, but again, mm. I don't think I don't think you get all of them back. Good to research. Let me just pull that up really quick. Mm. And why don't I know that? Because do you know do you know why I don't know that anymore? Is because D and D Beyond because when we just click on buttons, it's like the same reason I don't know phone numbers anymore. <laughs> um, the brain holds on to the stuff that it needs to do, needs to use, and just let's go the rest. And let's go the rest. So I'm just going to look Good up. to know. I think that's an important thing to know. How many hit dice do you usually regain? And this could also be modified. A DM could reduce how many 
like hit dice you regain or you can give all the hit dice back you know if you want to be super generous dm to give people a little bit faster healing or that that sort of speed to or that sort of weight to long rests over short rests i mean even introducing a gritty realism like listen like this puts warlocks in a whole new light because now they don't need to spend a whole week to get their spell slots back it just takes what all the other spellcasters usually need so yes i'm right uh long rest you regain all your hit points and uh a number of hit dice up to a number of dice equal to half of your character's total number of them minimum one of minimum of one die so, so you're if you're level one you still get one so right. it's a, it's okay. a, uh, yeah but it's still rounded down uh, i guess although that sort of suggests that it could be a rounded up scenario so if you're level of so you're level three but you only get one back yeah minimum of one as it says yeah, I think it's clear that it's still a round down and not a round up. Oh, interesting. Good to know. Very um, and good the character know. must have at least one hit point at the start of a rest to regain its benefits. So if you save your death throws and you're at zero hit points and then you roll 1d4 hours that you're unconscious before you wake up, you then have one hit point and then begin can begin a long rest situation so if you're out for four and then you get that hit point back then you need another six so the rest of your party is going to be waylaid at least that amount of time if they don't have any other means of healing you and getting you back up mm. exactly yeah i mean even then if you're tying these things together you could follow a, a long rest with a, sh a short rest like waking up setting up like packing up camp having a quick drink and breakfast could be the short rest immediately after a long rest yeah well, especially if we're doing the gritty realism. Exactly. And we're still needing opportunities to, I don't know, roll more hit dice or whatever, mm. or use healer kits or whatever. That is how you make it like, ugh, oh my God, everything yeah. is slowed don't, down. Don't let, everything don't is let players impactful. regain all their hit points with a yeah. long rest. That's, I, a, honestly, that's a really great way to... to I'm kind of to, tempted to run a game like that someday. Well, I feel like th that's how it was back in the day, like... I don't feel like in any of the first era, first edition era games I played that we ever regained hit points just by sleeping. And there's also the idea of maybe being taken in by a church or where you're sleeping could improve sleeping conditions, which isn't necessarily written down here. Yeah. But I think sleeping in an inn and having a, a good warm meal is much different from well, rations they, and interesting, a they say sleeper that, in a campfire. But. And this is, again, a lot of DMs will just wave their hands and skip over the what happens during your long rest sort of portion of the night. But um, mm. Camping could also be quite dangerous. Rules for exhaustion very sp explicitly say you have to have food as well as sleep. Mm. And that's often a good opportunity then to say to your party, so how are you guys eating today? I do that with my party every time if they get to a long rest. They say they want to... If they haven't had any food throughout the day if they haven't stopped and and verbally said we're going to make something to eat or we're going to an inn we're going to order something um it's a bit like skipping over the fact they need to go to the bathroom which you know this is mm -hmm. fantasy we don't have to go into every detail of life but the idea of trying to make your players eat once per day maybe that's just because i'm a dad i don't know <laughs> um but the idea of trying to make them eat once a day introduces that section of the day where somebody's going to either produce a good berry or if they can't do that, they have to go um, mm. They have to go looking for food. Or the artificer makes a bead of nourishment for everyone. Sure, there, there are spells, there are other things, but yeah, let them use those things. Either let them play those things into the game or make them go out 
looking for food. Forage, and then and the, the ranger the perhaps yeah, and the better, or, or the monk with or the, the cook's out, utensils. Or somebody who's got the outlander feet just walks back exactly. with more than enough for everybody. Fine. Doesn't matter how you do it. There's a bunch of ways to fix that, to solve that thing. It's an easy, th- it's an easy solve. Or I even think, yeah, like being creative, like a lizard folk who is known, like has even racial abilities for like reusing yeah. animal or things Making you kill after combat. The... You can take a short rest with the, the corpse of the beast you just killed as a pot roast or whatever sure. you know, that you have. Sure. Uh, cook utensils, again, come in handy in these places. Let, let players use these things that are often just sitting on their character sheet getting dusty. Or I even think of Fire Genasi doing produce flame and setting up like a, a spear and two sort of things and like having your place. Like, All right, we're going to set up like this is how we set up a, a part of our camp, you know. Yeah. This is, you know, we're well, using yeah, a tinderbox or whatever. To be honest, you know? if it's something that you're going to repeat again and again, the players can go through it and say, this is our standard setup camp. And, and then I'd say just, a DM, a, a, just as, make a check. You yeah, know? as a make DM, a there's, there's a, a is, yeah, there's one role that you can do with advantage because everybody's helping out and it's an easy DC to meet. Or start putting uses on tinder boxes, or start sure. doing things like that. So now that or you can cooking that, food is or you can a little bit that more DC valuable as they descend into the underdark or wherever they're going. That suddenly exactly. they're finding food isn't what it used to be. And you could even and... say that rangers have an easier time cooking with specific types of monsters, maybe like beasts. If they pick up that, like oh yeah, you can cook beasts without an issue. You know exactly what points are like poisonous, not poisonous, specific animals, things like that. Especially if you go for a favorite turn touch to the underdark. I think that's a brilliant idea adding a little bit more um emphasis on eating as well as sleeping and i think getting also one more thing before we move on to perhaps some of the alternate combat rules or or homebrewing rules uh that i like the idea of especially when you're using gritty realism uh exhaustion being such a a annoying thing that like doesn't go away and i'd say instead of missing a short rest every 24 hours because it's impossible change it to if you miss a short rest, because that's now the equivalent of what a long rest would typically be. If you don't get a short rest uh, during a 24-hour period, you gain a level of exhaustion for each. And then every tw- more like another 24 hours, you gain another level of exhaustion, another level of exhaustion, and that yeah. only goes away once you complete that. One level of it goes away after you spend a week recovering. You know, because it. Or you could even rule that if they spend the whole week, they get they lose all their exhaustion, but that they need to spend a week to get rid of that exhaustion. They can't just have another short rest and yeah, see well, it go away. Yeah, well, the way it works now is you can pretty much only get rid of one level of exhaustion per day mm. anyhow. So as a DM, you should be a little bit careful in how much exhaustion you're handing out. Um, and the character should always have some sort of choices between taking the exhaustion or not. Often taking it so that they gain some sort of benefit in lieu for the the disadvantages they're going to be stuck with. Um, and being able to spread it out across the party, letting different party members. So everybody in the party gains one level of exhaustion, some players gain two. And then, you know what I mean, sort of layer it up a bit mm. so they can, some of them can get it off, but some still have it. And, you know, those sorts of ideas in a game are okay. Um, I think, uh, depending where my players in my Curse of Strahd end up, it's uh, the setting there is getting kind of cold uh, a little bit. And we talked about it a couple episodes ago about some of the outdoor wilderness conditions and mm. frigid water. And it got me thinking when I was reading the setting, it's around this area called Berez. For those of you who know, Curse of Strahd's a swampy area with a bit of river. And, you know, the it's, it's a grim setting where it's the only swampiest part where the players are going to be at times knee deep or even up to their waists in mud and water and things. And 
apart from being difficult terrain, I was suddenly thinking, well, given the time of year, and the fact that we've already had a little bit of snowfall coming down and that, you know, keep talking about how kind of cold and miserable things are, although not like depth of winter, it's not like ice wind dale cold, but it's unpleasant, um, the cool temperatures that, yeah, standing in this water that's coming down off the mountain is going to be icy. Uh, it's not going to be pleasant at all. And so, yeah, I'm going to treat it as frigid water. They're going to be able to hang out in it for a number of minutes that are up to their constitution. And then after that, they're going to have to start making saves and they start failing those saves. Rules is written. They start picking up levels of exhaustion. And that sucks. Mm. That sucks, sucks, sucks for them. Um, and yeah, it, that I can definitely see that being a situation given how long it may take them to get through some of that. There may be characters who pick up a couple levels of exhaustion. Yeah, and suddenly their speed is halved, and then they pick up more levels of exhaustion. <laughs> if you can't get out of the mud, it just gets worse and worse. Um, so yeah, that, there's that. Um, greater restoration fixes levels of exhaustion. I believe well. it does, but only one. Only one. But yeah, that stuff's floating around for a price. Yeah. Um, I think keeping track of exhaustion, maybe introducing that could even be a layer of grit on top of the rest of that stuff. It is. We'll yeah. talk about lingering wounds and things like that as well, but if we have time, but... I maybe want to mi skip past some of the explosives and firearms and whatnot. Yeah, uh, if you want. But. Some of these, but there's some action options in yeah. the DM's workshop. If you want to sort of walk over to the bench over here. Yeah. Um, uh, combat options on page 270 th and through, I believe, until 273. Yeah, uh, I was skipping past initiative variants and things right. like that. I'm. I love I'm, that idea and speed factors and whatnot, but yeah, it is too sort much. of too much complicated. Too many extra I do agree, but I, I again, like that I, idea. I like keeping the game simple, and I think, at least for my tables, your tables may vary, but mine love when you say roll for initiative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it when I, as a player, those words signify that we're shifting into a combat. Uh, you know, part of the game. And, you know, we all get a little bit excited. The heart rate goes up, the fun's there. So when you, when you mess with initiative and you change it up, you, you really should have that as a conversation like at, at, you know, session zero. If you're a DM who wants to do something different with initiative, you really should get everybody's buy-in to do that ahead of time. You should have a good reason for it. But Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of I think initiative is great the way it is, although there are parts of me that get excited when I see words like passive initiative or <laughs> yeah. things like that that just sort of, um, I don't know. But why, yeah, there's but. a lot of mechanics in the game that you have to sort of think about um, that would kind of get broken if you mess with that. So skipping over those for now. Uh, action options. Action options. There's a couple here that I don't even think should be options. I think they're just... They should just be rules, they're in much every, like how grappling things every are. Single, climbing onto a bigger creature. Just make it like in the same section where you have sort of grappling and rules like that yeah. and pulling creatures. Some just, of these should be moved there, over there. You know? I think Climb climbing, onto onto, climbing onto bigger creatures should just be there. Yeah, it's, That's, That is something that idea. should be standard and every player should understand how to do it. And the way they've written it here is so, is so well done. It's a simple, it's simple, a simple contested check. Yeah. Right? The creature... Same as grappling. Yeah. So you, you have got to... The creature's got to be uh, huge or gargantuan mm. for you to climb onto it, assuming you're medium or small. Although I wonder if it's if you're small, would these same rules work for a large creature? I think maybe. Um, I would say two sizes bigger than you. Yeah. Um, and the idea is simple that you're going to make a strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics check, which is contested 
by the target's dexterity acrobatics. And now, here's the crazy thing. Most huge or gargantuan creatures have are, bad dexterity. They are not dexterous at all. So there's a really great chance that suddenly you are on the back of that dragon, mm. which is great for you. Um, as a DM, if a player does this, I suddenly then rethink which of the creature's attacks, if they're a gargantuan creature, are valid that can work on their back. Wings? Uh, wings still hit you? Hail? Maybe. Breath weapon? No. No. So, you know what I mean? Like, there's still some things the dragon can do. Um, actually, the worst thing the dragon's going to do to you at this point, if you climb on his back, it's going to fly up, <laughs> up into the and air. And then try and shake you off. And there's also rules for it trying to shake you off. Yeah. And now when it, it does its dexterity checks, I'm going to give it advantage as it does a barrel roll. And you have to make an athletics check to hold on to the back of the With dragon disadvantage, while you're argue. upside down yeah. uh, or something like that. Um, and falling in D&D sucks. So, well, yeah. And they also yeah. have rules. You like variant rather than just falling the entire distance in six seconds, you could only fall 500 feet on your turn. But if you're falling more than 500 right. feet, goodbye. So, all right. So, stop crawling onto things that can fly. That should be, you know, it's like a terminal velocity. Rookie mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, crawl into things that are giants. giants. And I actually have you know? done that. Or if you're a halfling, try and crawl onto your troll. I have or... climbed on the back of a giant in a game. Uh, but yeah, fun, fun things to do. Uh, and I think that one should just be in it. Yeah. Page 271, I recommend checking it out. Uh, then disarming. Yeah. I think this is a cool idea, although I think you got to be at the, like, a little bit more careful when learning how to apply this or be a little bit more. Yeah, this one isn't straight up standard. Yeah. I'd say include in the, the rules all the time. This is one that is great, especially if you have, if you have some either like a brawler or grappler mm. type character in the game, or even if you have a monk, possibly. Um, I would say that anybody who's got sort of a hand-to-hand -hand sort of role like that, who's in a martial artsy sort of state or something like that. I even might... think someone with a certain type of weapon yeah, could. I think a swashbuckler or a fighter who's big into their dueling or things like that. I would, if they're a more advanced player, I would say to them, hey, do you want to play with disarm? Uh, this I think is, even with like sure force, like a great weapon could yeah, be like a could. knocka. And so, so if you've got more advanced players who already have a pretty strong grasp of, of playing their character in their game, I'd say, look, disarms disarms an option for you now. So you make an attack roll, an attack roll, mm. which is then contested by the target's strength, athletics, or dex acrobatics. If your attack roll now, your attack roll is probably, I mean, for some fighters, it's like plus seven, plus nine, depending on what level you are. Um, that's probably going to be way better than the strength or dexterity check made by a an NPC, unless they've got a bonus in, in those that's somehow spectacular. Um, so anyway, so the way that it works, though, is if you succeed, the weapon simply sort of just falls to their feet. They drop the item. Mm. No other damage is done, nothing like that. Now, this is only... One of the attacks on your turn. This is not an action. This right. is a weapon attack so on your turn. I would say this is useful if then you're up, you can use your object interaction to, to say kick yeah. the weapon away. And then you can like, as a DM, you could roll, have the player roll, I don't know, 3d6 or something to see how far they kick it. Mm. Or something reasonable. Plus athletics. Yeah, or something or whatever, a reasonable, you know? depending what terrain was. Exactly. Like if it was, an, uh, you know, a 
a smooth surface. It could go farther. If it's the woods, it probably won't go that far because it gets caught in some bushes. Or my favorite idea, your wizard or whoever is you know 10 30 feet away and just waiting for it to hit the ground so they cast mold earth and bury the enemy's weapon five feet <laughs> there's in the dirt. there's one of those, jack and i've often talked a little bit about how on this co- podcast we could talk about doing combo moves mm. and combo moves are though are so complex because it really there's so many variables depending on who the players like who the pcs are mm. what their skills are but there's a great one if you've got a combo mold earth uh, wizard who holding his action waiting for the fighter to do the disarm and then as soon as that this disarm they bury the the sword um that the opponent has well, that's that's great news yeah. now your wep- like your well, enemy most, has no well, weapon. Most, well yeah most enemies their unarmed attacks are it's it's one plus their strength bonus so they're not going to hurt you that bad exactly um i mean unless there's some sort of Tail whip or wing whip or sure. breath weapon. Right, like they, you're before, not disarming those sorts of types. I mean, this true. is this is typically you versus a guard, you versus maybe even a hobgoblin or something that warlord. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's carrying a weapon that's dangerous. Um, dis- and now that weapon's out of their hands. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is especially definitely a, a magic weapon. This, this is a could great really one. This is a great one for teamwork. Also, if you're a grappler and you've grappled somebody who's got a weapon and then you use a turn to disarm them and kick it away their speed's zero since they're grappled by you and they so can't they, go and reach they can't and go and weapon. get the weapon now exactly and, and they're not going to be able to dig five feet in the earth like dirt during combat sure. to try and get and the weapon yeah back. exactly if they've been if it's been mold earthed uh, it's gone you know it's so yeah disarm there's nothing wrong with putting disarm in the game i think it's an easy mechanic to implement it's no more complicated than grappling in fact it's less because it's you know it's it's uh, your attack roll versus a strength or dex. I think it is also check. important to mention that the attack roll does have disadvantage if the enemy is holding it with more than one hand. Yeah, two-handed weapons harder to knock out of somebody's hands. Yeah, if someone's got a stronger grip on it, things, things like, like that. that. Exactly. Uh, then I think we're just going to not talk about Mark. I think just Mark is awful. Okay. Get rid of Mark. No one needs Mark. I'm okay it's with it. It's funny in concept. Uh, I think it's again, just, why wouldn't very, you use Mark every single time very, you hit someone? It's, you would, actually. That would usually be the whole thing. It's um, that's the. If you put Mark like in the game, it goes all the time. If you don't, it's, it, you don't. Yeah. So, I, 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 won't, I don't use Mark. I think opportunity attacks are fine the way they are. Mark only makes them... More complicated, more of They a make thing. them more of a thing it's, that happens more often. I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I think just Mark is unnecessary. Right. Again... I think maybe something that a ranger could have. Sure. You know, would yeah, I it, give that it especially looks, to a ranger? Almost like, Why not? Again, of things to fix ranger, you still think, wow, Mark would just be like a great base skill. Yeah, it's to a give cool them. thing to give, you know. Yeah, or even level, now, their opportunity attacks. Maybe they could make an opportunity attack when something leaves the short range of their ranged weapon. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I maybe know. that's too much. But I'm but, just trying to think but of the, ways. The way that, that an opportunity attack doesn't expand and their reaction hmm. is still pretty cool. Even yeah. though they can only still make one opportunity attack per turn, but it doesn't burn your reaction. So it basically gives you one extra action. It's like a bonus reaction to do opportunity attacks. Exactly. That doesn't burn your reactions. You could still cast Featherfall mm. or something. You know what I mean? Like your reaction isn't burnt, um, even though you couldn't use that reaction again to, yeah. to do another exactly. opportunity attack. So it just basically expands. It, that's all that Mark does is it expands that. And whether it's worth it in your game or not, it's, I don't know. Mm. I think we're nearly approaching the hour here. Okay. So very quickly then, very quickly, while we're our, one of the last things in this section I want to talk about is the shove aside. 
which I think should be in the game. Um, so push and shove is already in rules as written. It's a contested check. You either push somebody back five feet or you knock them down. Mm. Shove aside simply adds the ability. It's the same check, but it pushes them laterally or to a diagonal square as well as, you know, in a straight line. Um, except that the to push them sideways like that, you do so at a disadvantage on your check, right? So it's a little bit harder to push somebody sideways than it is to push them straight back. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Instead of running towards them. But here's where a good combo move comes in. If you let players do shove aside, and for some reason your glass cannon, your rogue or wizard yeah. who've been sitting in the back, you know, doing their range attacks has suddenly gotten into melee range. Something's closed on them and they're getting hammered hard. Um, and they can't they can't run away because they've got an opportunity attack on them, whatever. You can run up to them, you shove aside on your friend who won't contest the ability check the 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 strength check. And because they've been pushed out of melee, the baddie doesn't get an opportunity attack on them. And then you can interpose and put your big heroic self between you mm -hmm. and your glass cannon. I think there's definitely something to it, and I don't know why this isn't already a part of the writing for shove. I think just another paragraph beneath shove, you can do, make a shove, when you do the shove thing, you can, the shove thing, uh, you can do so with disadvantage to try and push them laterally or diagonally, like I said before. I think it's just a, a nice addition. And a lot of it here written in the DMG, I think is just very cool additions to try and expand martial yeah. combat in simple ways. And there's one more really quick one I want to mention because acrobatics doesn't get a lot of love uh, in the game. Most mm. things are more, way more athletic stuff than there is acrobatics. Acrobatics are usually just to keep you from falling over, which mm. kind of boring. The tumble action lets you basically use your acrobatics to get passed through a, a hostile creature's space. Mm. And that I think is, is hugely fun. Uh, the idea of a halfling or you know, even somebody who's like an elf or bigger, being able to use their sort of ballet type moves or whatever to spin past somebody or to tumble through their legs or to flip over top of them or whatever. Um, contested your acrobatics versus their acrobatics. If you win, you're on the other side of them. Exactly. And it, does it let you make an, like, do they still get an opportunity attack on you or do you disengage? Like, how does that work? Well, it says you can even do this as a bonus action, which would be cool. As um, an action or bonus action. So, so no, you, you wouldn't... Bonus action they, flip they over them, an then oh, I see. So action then, disengage. Yeah, well, so it, it still gives you the disengage option. Yeah, you could. As a bonus action, flip over them, action disengage, nice. and then finish your movement on the other side. So cool. Mm -hmm. Such a great way to make an acrobat more fun in combat. Uh, to give them, like, somebody who's highly dexterous. Yeah, a someone who can extra. flip over their enemies. Or a halfling who can slide through th exactly. people's legs. Things like that. So much more fun. I don't know why that also isn't played with more often. I totally, you know, from this point forward, if my players, if you guys are listening, all these things are always available to you. Um, I will make that really clear at the table next time. Tumbling, shoving, overrunning. Overrunning is a little bit different. It's a push through space. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's like it's in the same group as Mark, as far as I'm concerned. Disarming and climbing uh, onto yeah. bigger creatures. All good stuff. Anyways, I think, you know, there's a lot more great stuff here in the DMs workshop. We, we may have to touch up on it. Again we will have to come back next episode. Next week, we will do summer finish. camp yeah. part two. Part two. Finish uh, the... the DMs workshop. I will see if I can get my 
fingers reattached uh, <laughs> by next week. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the injuries, massive damage, morale, ideas like that, uh, as well as uh, some of the things we consider when we're homebrewing uh, monsters and spells and magic items and stuffs. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you very much, wherever you are. We hope you're well. We hope you're safe. Look after your mental health. Love one another. Watch your critical role. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in a couple in, of, yeah, tune in be, soon. Should be critical role as the as, as this is being published. Should be happening maybe right about now. Yeah, yeah. If, if you don't know what to do in that hour while you're waiting for crit role to start, come check yeah, us out. Yeah, come check us out. We, we are. We're typically uh, an hour or two before critical role starts. So, yeah. So, can give you a little bit of time. Let your friends know. Let your friends know. Come here first. Come here. Uh, The best father son -son DD podcast in Asia. Asia. Woo! Woo! Bye bye, everybody. Bye.